We are the Society for Healthcare Innovation. Here with us today, we have Jennifer Meller, CEO of Navamize and a practicing physician in New York City. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jennifer. My pleasure. Nice to be here. And I guess I'm calling it a show now. That's a new thing too. So what can you tell us about Navamize and, and how you guys have been dealing with the present pandemic? Sure. So uh, we founded Navamize really as a patient experience platform. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a physician. I've been in practice for a long time. Over the years in my practice, I always ran behind schedule. And I knew that wait times were a problem for patients. It was a problem for my staff. It really made the day pretty miserable for, for everyone and the experience miserable for everyone. And um, over the years, it's become kind of uh, uh, more... Uh, even more important to not keep patients waiting now with CAP scores and patient satisfaction scores being linked to reimbursement and online reviews, you know, pay when patients wait, they don't just share it with one friend, they share it with the world. Um, so we really found an advice to solve that problem. And we built a platform that integrates easily with electronic medical records. It uh, tracks patient flow, it predicts delays, and then it text messages patients in real time to let them know when the practice or the doctor is running behind schedule. Now, in the current pandemic, we've seen a lot of practices move to telehealth. So there's a couple of things we've done. One is we've helped practices who have pivoted to telehealth and whose patients are, you know, online. It's a new experience for them. We help message their patients, let them know the doctor's still there, wait in the virtual waiting room, let them know when the doctor will be with them so they don't just log off and get frustrated and think that that's not working. So that's one thing. The other thing we've done is really adapt our platform to help practices that are still seeing patients in person um, implement social distancing in their waiting rooms. So that, you know, whereas before um, it was a nice thing to do to let your patients know not to wait, it was great for your reviews, it was great for your CAP scores. Today it's become a must have for a lot of hospitals and health systems. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that as the, as the country seeks to reopen. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the perfect categorization of that shift from nice to have to, to need to have. And so I'm sure you uh, have been nothing short of overwhelmed by inbound interest. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so it's it's been actually really interesting. So in the last week alone, since the president um, announced that uh, a plan for reopening the country, and as we're starting to see certain states really move towards that, um, we've gotten a ton of inbound interest from hospitals, health systems, practices, who are starting to realize that as they open their doors again to physical appointments, um, and there's been actually a lot of pent-up demands, a lot of things people have been staying home for, and now they, they can't wait forever, they're going to need to come in, they're really worried about their waiting rooms swelling and crowding and, and the risk of exposure just within their waiting room. Um, and so we've seen a lot of interest in using our solution really to avoid just that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can tell you too, I was for, for my own job going back and forth to doctor's offices, maybe five or six practices a day. And it was shocking how crowded some of these waiting rooms are. I mean, yeah. people really just one on top of the other. Yep. Yep. Um, and, you know, I've heard from a lot of, um, a lot of people who, you know, uh, who take their kids to the pediatrician's office, they're always saying, oh, my God, I hate going to that waiting room because I feel like my kids are getting sick or waiting there. Um, and I've heard from, you know, friends who have been at OBGYNs, women who are pregnant and they have to go every you know, month and then every two weeks and every week. They get really frustrated because they they're either have very busy jobs or they have other kids at home. So it's always been a huge frustration. But I think and, and the the. Um, 
the uh, the willingness to wait, I think, has really been decreasing over the last few years as we've seen the millennials kind of come into practices, as we've seen this generation of having used to having everything right now uh, available, right? That's become a big issue. But now there's this imperative. We cannot have people sitting next to each other in a waiting room. We cannot have 20 people squeezed into a small space. We just can't. It's dangerous. Mm. So um, it's been a really interesting um, kind of shift in, in the way we see in the hospitals and health system think about this. Right. And so I, I think over the next couple of weeks, months, and even potentially years, uh, the threat of, of COVID will continue to kind of inform waiting room culture. What do you see as the longstanding effects even beyond this pandemic for, you know, what, right now, as you pointed out, when I think about a waiting room, I think about waiting, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> What does that look like in, in five years, 10 years? Yeah, so I, I think that there are a lot of things in healthcare that we're going to see change after this pandemic. I mean, it's been really fascinating to see how quickly the industry as a whole has adopted telemedicine really almost universally across the country, right? I think there are a number of reasons for that, right? I think that the the rollback of all the regulation, the institution of pay parity, um, the the um, removal of HIPAA as, as a barrier for telemedicine adoption, all of that has really enabled uh, physicians to be able to communicate very smoothly and seamlessly with their patients. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that. Um, so I suspect that as time goes on, we're going to move to a more hybrid model. I don't think we're going to have telemedicine utilized as much as it is right now. Right now it's being utilized and, and, and substituted for in-person visits, even when there are cases where in-person visits would be better. Right. Um, however, I think that uh, this is this genie is going to be really hard to put back in the bottle. Right. There's no way anyone's going to tolerate going back to the pre-COVID era where we did, you know, virtually no telemedicine or just in certain geographic areas. So I think you're going to see a hybrid model uh, uh, kind of emerge where you have patients coming into the doctor's office and some will be virtually waiting. The thing is, if you have a schedule where patients are waiting in person and half your patients are waiting online, they're still waiting. Right. So I think a technology like ours actually can be really useful since we're adaptable both to the physical waiting room and to the virtual waiting room. Um, but th that's kind of how I see things evolving. It's amazing. Every time I, I get a question in my head, you address it <laughs> typically right before you. So what, I mean, I guess we can dive a little deeper into it, right? I mean, traditionally Navimize was about the physical waiting room and, yeah. and helping practices organize that. So can you tell me a bit about this new foray into right. the, uh, uh, you know, the digital waiting room. Yeah, yeah, sure. So so actually, it's something we've been talking about for a while and something that we've kind of floated by some of our customers. I, I think the reason it didn't really um, get a lot of traction before, you know, prior to this, this uh, pandemic is that they really just... The, the telemedicine adoption in, in and of itself wasn't that universal, right? The, compared to what we're doing now versus what we were doing two months ago, it's just, you know, exploded exponentially. Um, so I think that there was not so much of a recognition that the virtual waiting room could be an issue as well. Um, but even in my own practice, you know, I, have, I still see uh, patients a, a couple of mornings a week. Um, it's a great testing ground for new features in, in Navimize. Uh, it keeps me feeling like the business stays informed, um, gives me credibility when I speak with, with uh, other physicians and health systems. So I, I still do that just a little bit. Um, but, but even in my practice, I moved over to telemedicine. And I've seen that same phenomenon play out where patients, when they're waiting in the virtual waiting, waiting room, if I get you know one patient's taking a little bit longer, or even if it's an extra five minutes, 
I start to get messages, you know, through my messaging platform. Is this visit really happening? Is it, you know, I'm not sure I use the technology correctly and have to say to them, you know, no, everything's fine. You know, uh, uh, I'm going to see you in a moment. And so I actually started adapting Navimize for my own use for this Hmm. uh, because I saw it play out for me. So I, I, I think even more so, again, when we when we move to some hybrid version of telehealth visits scattered throughout the day where you have open slots between your in-person visits, um, or even if you have you know, your morning of in-person or your afternoon of, of virtual, there's going to be some friction there where patients are going to be waiting. And they, they, it's the communication and staying informed that keeps them engaged and stops them from dropping off. The same way it stops them, as we've seen in person, from leaving the office. I think that's a, that's a great point, right? Most of us are willing to wait for things. We just want to be told how long we need to wait so that we can do other things. And so I, I think that's kind of a lot of the brilliance of, of Navamize is, is giving the time back to people so they're not sitting there waiting when they could be doing other things. Yeah, yeah, and we've seen that borne out actually when we when we first uh, deployed our platform. Actually, in the very early days, um, we uh, surveyed patients. Uh, once they, you know, when, after they were texted about the wait times and, you know, we asked them, do you, you know, was this helpful? Would you like your other doctors to use this? And across the board, it was like 95% of patients said, oh my God, I wish all my doctors use this all the time. And then when we asked them why, you know, was it because you could save you time you came to the office later? You know, what, what were the reasons? Um, one, about half the patients said, you know, I use the information to come later to the office, but 75% of the patients said it just helped to know to expect a wait. And about 70% of the patients said, it made me feel like the doctor cared about me and cared about my time. And I think that's really telling, right? That, that just communicating with patients and giving them information makes them feel empowered. Whereas when you, you know, the, the kind of status quo is to walk into a waiting room, see all these people and have no idea what's happening. And then going to the front desk and they say, very soon, a few more minutes, but really having no information. So giving people information empowers them. And I think it's really important, especially in healthcare where people are coming in feeling vulnerable. That makes a lot of sense. So one last question for you. As a physician and an entrepreneur, what do you think is uh, or has been the biggest learning for you uh, that has come out of this tragic pandemic? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, there's, I guess there's a lot of things. You know, I think um, the amazing thing is the resilience of the patients, I would say, to adapting to new environments and new, re- new realities. So there's been so much push like, oh, we're not going to adopt telemedicine. Our patients will tolerate the patients. They're doing what they have to do, you know, and they're amazing. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing is that the, the kind of uh, aha that you can really adopt uh, technologies quickly in healthcare. It can be done. And the barriers to doing so have a lot to do with government regulation, have a lot to do with inertia right, and health systems have a lot to do with, um, you know, just thinking this can wait, this can wait, this can wait. And, and when you, we saw these pressures come in, we saw that really this is doable. I think it taught everybody that we can do this and we should be doing more of this. So I think in the coming years, we're going to see a lot more interest in adopting digital technologies to help us connect with our patients and to help us be more efficient um, and really just to, to improve the, the delivery of care and the experience for everybody in this country. Well, Dr. Miller, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us today. And uh, equally as importantly, thank you for all that you do for patients and for us. I know this is not an easy time to be a physician in New York City. And uh, you, 
you and those like you are extremely brave and we are all very grateful for what you do. So thank you. Well, thank you for your kind words and thanks for having me on the show. No problem. This is the Society for Healthcare Innovation. You can find us on our LinkedIn page, on our YouTube page. Thank you so much.